Genesis 37, we're going to start off this morning in verses 12 and read to the end to verse 36 and see where the Lord leads us this morning. In Genesis chapter 37, we start off in verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send them, and I will send thee unto them. And he said, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it will see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again." And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their fathers and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph hath without a doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. This is a Father's Day message. 
we're going to see the heart of a father and kind of put yourself in the position right now. What you're thinking right now when you hear this about your son. Jacob and his family are in Canaan. Jacob is a father of many children. He provided for them. He loved them. He made many mistakes, but he fought for them. And the greatest example of his love for his family can be enjoyed by us looking at this narrative from Moses for Jacob's love for his son Joseph. He loved Joseph. He loved all of his kids. We were reading in the responsive reading today about how he had provided, Jacob had provided, and he had wanted to check on the cattle. He wanted to send Joseph, and he wanted to look over all of his kids. Here we see Joseph and his brothers are shepherds or herdsmen. Joseph brings back an evil report. Then we read of this detestable brewing hate directed, not between all the brothers, but specifically at Joseph. Remember the dreams. Earlier on in the chapter, how Joseph said about the sheaves, he talked about the sun, moon, and the stars, and he said that you will all worship me, and he was trying to give them a prophecy, but it also said that Jacob paid attention to this. Jacob knew that God spoke in all these credible ways. Right now, we are in the age of this world where God spoke audibly from oracles, and he spoke and he gave prophecies. And that's incredible, because first we have that age, and then later on Christ comes to the earth, and then there's the age of Christ's ministry, and how he's here on this earth for many years, and then all of a sudden from there he ascends and he leaves the Holy Spirit, and we now enjoy the age of the Holy Spirit speaking to us through Scripture and through preaching. And so right now, the Lord has, spe- has spoken to Jacob, and he knows that there's something going, going on here. We see that the brothers' hate escalates over Joseph. And what was established early in the chapter is Joseph's purpose. And although it seemed that Joseph's interpretations of these dreams to his brother were haughty, Joseph had dreamed them for a very specific purpose. And we know that this is true because these are not the only dreams. Later on, the baker, remember them? And that dream comes up. He had power. Joseph had power to see things. Well, we need to stand firm on this application real quick and see the connection between Jacob and Joseph because Jacob knew there was something special about this son. That's what a good father does. A good father can really know his children. He knows that they're different. I remember speaking to my doctor one time, Dr. Peter Hindenburg, and he was talking about three, his three daughters. He's a good guy, and he was talking about how incredible it is that I have three daughters. And he said, I don't love one more than the other. But what's incredible is how differently I love each one of them and predicated on how different they are. Each child is a separate entity. And what I love about one quote that was made by a theologian many, many years ago was, every single person that God has ever created is a veritable wealth of knowledge. And the Lord has already put that in them. And you can see that playing out in their lives. And you just love them differently. Jacob knew there was something special about Joseph. And I just want to say this just in Joseph, on Joseph's behalf because it's important to stand firm on this application because if you listen to Christian radio, maybe other ministries preaching on this subject, I have heard many times that they said Joseph was an arrogant teenager and when he gave the dreams, he did it arrogantly and Jacob should have scolded him. I don't believe that. I personally, in my opinion, I believe that the Lord was speaking through Joseph. Jacob knew that. But we see a great divide between Joseph and the rest of his siblings. They detested him. And so something was about to happen. Joseph's character greatly foreshadows that of Christ's character. 
Joseph loved the Lord and Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his children. And maybe that was why. Was it right? Is favoritism right? Well, it happens. And maybe it was because Jacob knew there was something very special about Joseph and he loved the Lord. There's something, something in a, the heart of a father and a mother that are Christian when they know that their children love the Lord. I tell you what, it really alleviates a lot of, of pain and anguish. And if they don't, well, that is your mission field. That is my mission field. That is all of our mission fields. And not just for our own t- children, but for other children too. The ones that come through the church, many have come through this church. It is our job to teach them. It is our job to love them and to bring them to the wealth. And I believe that is what Jacob did. Even though he had his mistakes, and we know that he did, his mission was to know those children and to bring them to the well. And he had his own well, by the way. And you know that very well over near Jerusalem that he made as an altar? This isn't even in my notes. Jesus Christ sat at that well, and that well is still there today. Isn't that incredible? Matthew Henry sums up Joseph's intentions very plainly with his brothers. And he says in a very short form, those that hate to be reformed hate those that would reform them. And, you know, this verse proves that what Matthew Henry said, I agree with him, what he said regarding the way his brothers treated him, and I know Jacob hated this, he hated the way that Joseph was being treated. Proverbs 9.8 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. I believe Joseph was warning them. He had this incredible gift. He loved his brothers, and he was telling them, Trouble's ahead. You need to be prepared for it. Well, we see that his brethren are there to feed the flocks in Shechem. little interesting side note about Shechem. Brothers tend the flocks of their father in Shechem. Well... If you know the book of Genesis, you know that something really horrible just happened in Shechem. It was a great trade route, 50 miles north of Mamre, near Hebron, all of all places. This providentially brought Joseph to Dothan, and Jacob had thought that it's possible that the sons were in Shechem. That was a problem. They weren't actually there. They had gone through there, but they weren't there, and so... Jacob is sending kind of like a reconnaissance mission for Joseph and saying, you know, you need to go out and you need to check on your brothers. I'm worried about them. Shechem was a really rough place and something really horrible had just happened. And Jacob is basically telling Joseph, now you've got to put this into perspective. Jacob knew he could tell his son Joseph to go do this work. And even though Joseph was treated horribly by his brothers, what would most brothers have done? They would have said, Pop! They hate me. Do it yourself or send one of the shepherds out there or one of the other slaves or whatever. Send them out there. I'm not going. Jacob knew he would do it. He knew that Joseph had a real righteous heart and that he would do whatever he told him. So he goes. Jacob goes. Jacob sends Joseph. I mean, Joseph goes. The brothers go through Shechem. And Jacob at this time is finally residing in Mamre of the city of Arba, which is Hebron, going back to Genesis 35, 27, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. So Jacob was there with Joseph. And then he goes, and he looks at them. He looks for them. Well, Shechem is a tough place. But just always remember, Jacob had the heart of a wonderful father, and he was not only concerned about Jacob, but all his kids. And talking about father figures, 
Sometimes a father is maybe not a biological father. Sometimes a father figure is someone in our lives that maybe not our father, but someone that looks over us. Remember Mordecai. Remember how Mordecai, how he exhibited such great parental solicitude. Esther's, we see Esther's cousin. He loved her as a father and he worried about her. Esther 2.11 says, And Mordecai, who is a strong father figure, he walked every day before the court of a woman's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. That's what Jacob was doing with Joseph. He wanted to know what was become of his sons, and this is what Mordecai did. He would go in and check on her just to see how she was. What a father figure. See, they are back in the land of Shechem, and now Jacob is really worried because Shechem was a big problem. They were back in the land where they slaughtered the men for the rape of Dinah. The very first physical rape that was ever recorded in Scripture was in Shechem. Genesis 34, Dinah was a young girl, she was a teenager, and she was told by Jacob, stay away from those towns. You stay with your family because it's bad out there. He wasn't trying to be some anti-feminist or anything, he was just trying to protect his daughter and she wouldn't listen. So she goes into Shechem, she meets the prince of Shechem, he has eyes for her, he loves her, and instead of treating her like a lady, he physically and abruptly rapes her, and it's the first rape ever recorded in Scripture. Simeon and Levi didn't like it. Now, we could get into that whole thing, whether we agree with them or not, but I can tell you right now, when they got done with the Shechemites, they never touched another woman. (laughs) That was brutal. They heard about it also when the inheritance came. They got kind of blasted for that. But they loved their sister, and Jacob had a real problem with the Shechemites. So he's a little, little nervous. Joseph's brothers are to be in Shechem, tending the herds. Jacob has this burning eagerness to check up on his brothers, to see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks. And Israel's concern revealed us that clearly they were to be in Shechem managing the spoils. And why did Jacob know so much about what they were doing? How can you know how, what each one of your kids are doing? Well, there is a quote from an old rabbi that says, A father that does not teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief. Another mark of a good father, Jacob taught them how to tend sheep and how to assess cattle, how to arrange them, how to pick them out, how to use them in the trade. And they were very wealthy because of it. And they were out there tending cattle. They were shepherds. And Joseph, too, himself was a shepherd. He says, I will send them, Joseph. I will go, Joseph says. And he made no objections to his father's command. He says, here am I, not here I am, Joseph was not referring to his location, but when you hear those three words, here am I in the Bible, that means that either a prophet, an apostle, or whoever is ready to go and listen. They're not saying, here I am on your GTS, GPS coordinates, I'm sitting in the middle of Bel Air, America. No, here am I means, whatever you tell me, I will go. Isaiah 6, 8, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then said, here's Isaiah, here am I, send me. Isaiah says, whatever, Lord, you're great, you're awesome. I I can't even believe that you would give me the honor of doing your work. And that's what the Lord's work is. It's an honor to be here this morning. You know, it was an honor to go down and preach down at the Bible conference, but it wasn't the same as being here. It's not It's not the same. 
I love, love it down there, but it's not the same. It's an honor to be here. In essence and in all actuality, Joseph here, he's in a most unusual and providential way. God is sending Joseph to this mission field. Joseph obeys. He goes to Shechem out of a loving heart. He looks. The messenger is sent. We see the story here. And what I'm trying to do is build a little story up to see what happens here. And I think you know the story, but it's, I think it's fascinating. And he, he, he comes into a man. And this man says, we see he proceeds to Shechem and comes across a certain man that found him. Joseph was wandering around the field looking for a glimpse or a sign of his brothers. Do you think that that was some kind of a coincidence? Now, you know today, if we're out in the middle of a field and we're looking for somebody, we have every piece of technology basically available to mankind in one little tiny square plastic box in our hands. And we can pretty much find our way out of anything as long as we have battery power and we have reception. But God didn't need any of that. See, Joseph's in the middle of nowhere, and this man shows up out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, he knows where the boys are. Now, what would Joseph have done? He could have turned around, he could have went back home, and he just couldn't find them. They could have been anywhere. But this man comes out of nowhere. The man not only knew to approach Joseph, he had overheard the brothers. He knew exactly where they were. So what does Joseph do? Does he say to himself, well, that's that. They're not here. I'm going to return home. I'm done. How would Joseph's father ever know that a certain man directed Joseph to brother's location? Joseph could have come back. Henry, John, I mean, Matthew Henry and John Calvin both pronounce without question that Joseph is showing perseverance out of obedience to his father and love for his brother, and he presses on. They both write incredible commentary on these very verses and say the perseverance. We're already seeing the incredible integrity that Joseph has. And another clue as to why Jacob loved him so much. Face of a long journey, a dangerous journey, he goes for many reasons. Make sure they're safe. Joseph was obedient to his father. He would not return. And Henry writes, It is a very good lesson, though it is learnt with difficulty and rarely practiced to love those that hate us. If our relations do not their duty to us, yet we must not be wanting in our duty to them. And so one might think that Joseph had a real aversion to the brothers, but he would do it anyway. John Calvin writes, He searches them out anxiously, and though they had changed their place, he spares neither labor nor trouble till he finds them. So this certain man overheard the brothers and knows that they are in Dothan. So what are they doing in Dothan? Joseph starts in Hebron from the city of Mamre, 50 miles to Shechem, about 15 miles to the Dothan, to the northern hub. That's a long way to go. 50 miles on foot, that's like walking from here to the Rockvale outlets in Lancaster. That's how far it is. That's kind of a distance there. And Dothan, it seems it was more convenient for them. For there was contact with merchants there, using the main trade route. There was a lot of money that could be made. <clears throat> we see that this situation creates a real problem. Here comes Joseph. Now you can picture the scene. Here's what it looks like right now. 50 miles from Mamre near Hebron, down below Jerusalem. Go past Jerusalem, another 40 miles north, and there is Dothan. Jacob is getting a little older now. He's back at the house. The brothers are out there working. They're down at Bethlehem Steel right now. They're making iron. You know, they're out there with the cow, you know what I mean? And Joseph is now a messenger. He's on his way, and all of a sudden, they're probably on their break right now. 
kind of like state highway administration workers, you know, like they think to do every now and then. And they look and they're all scratching their heads and they're like, there's only one person we know that has a coat that looks like that, that has all those colors. And he's coming walking towards them. This is bad for Joseph. This is really bad. Verse 18, we read, When they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him and against him to slay him. They didn't say, well, maybe he's being nice and bringing us some drinks. Maybe he's coming to help us out. They hated him so much that the second that they saw him and they knew how far he traveled, they're saying, we don't care. We want him dead. We want to slay him. Brothers see him. They start with their evil mouths. They conspire one to another. Remember 1 John 3.15. Remember, this is very important. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You know, the Lord could have struck him down right there. They conspire against him, shedding innocent blood. Joseph goes to check on his brothers, and he's going to show them how much their father cares enough for them to make sure that they're okay. He speaks to them peaceably. He's the odd man out. And it must have felt really weird for Joseph at this point. Matthew 5, 11, 12 says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. How did we ever know that the prophets were going to be persecuted by their own brothers? John MacArthur said the worst fights he's ever had in the ministry is in his own church. He said there's been so much fighting over the years and division and splits. And they asked him, do you ever feel like not being a pastor? He says, yes, every Monday morning. That's what his response was. Whoever thought that the prophets were going to be hit by their own brothers? Of course we hear about the Amalekites going after the prophets. We remember Joshua and Moses had to keep his arms up in the air for him to defeat them. And when you put his arms down, he would lose. There's the Amalekites. What about the Philistines? What about the Midianites? And Gideon was scared to death. They were bad people. Then the Assyrians came in, and they wanted to kill all of Israel. There's Hezekiah there. There's Isaiah there. And the Lord says, I got this. One angel. 185,000 God-hating Assyrians were dead, and the next morning they were pulling in all their gold and silver. The Israelites were taking all of their prophets. That's what God can do. And there they hated him. And these were men who were supposed to be full-blown Israelites, that were trained by the Lord, by Jacob, and they hated their brother. They hated him. You ever been hated? It's not fun, is it? Especially when you haven't done anything wrong. Well, the plot to slay the young man Joseph, they carry the sin further, and now they plot, you know the story, they see him coming. The first plan is to slay Joseph and throw his body into a pit. They want him into a pit. You know, when the word pit comes up more than once, that's a Hebraism. And that shows a real strong emphasis by the writer Moses that that was a bad pit. And that was a pit pit, and the pittiest pit you had ever seen. (laughs) And that was a bad one. So he sees it, and he says, this was a bad place. And they were going to put him in it. Ever been in a pit that you couldn't get out of? Reuben steps in, says, don't kill him. They saw Joseph from afar off. Why would Reuben step in? He's the oldest. He's trying to have a little bit of authority. He did not receive the coat. Oh, that could have really... Did you ever think about that? What do you think Reuben thought when Joseph got the coat of many colors and he's the oldest and he didn't get it? 
He could have been the one that really led this, but he says, let's not kill him. He appeases the brothers. He gives them reaction and says, he, he has the same reaction to the brothers as Jacob when Joseph told him the dreams. But he comes back and he agrees to cast Joseph into the pit so they could come back and get him and take him back and just teach him a little lesson. Well, it didn't work out that way, did it? So we move forward in the verses 21 to 28. In this portion of the narrative, we follow closely the words of Reuben in the description of Moses. We can see Reuben departs from the brothers for a time. They strip the coat off of Joseph to humiliate him and send a message to Joseph that he will not rule over them. Stripping him of his coat is like stripping him of his badge, of his honor. And you know, if you're thinking about it, Joseph's life could be summed up in three coats. He had three coats. He had the coat that his father gave him, the coat that he left with Potiphar's wife that almost got him in real big trouble and he had done nothing wrong, and then the robe that the king gave him to make him second highest in command over all of Egypt and basically over the world when he was the head accountant that saved them from dying in the famine. Three coats, and they stripped him of his coat. To hearten their heart, their, the, to, to heighten their hard-hearted faith, they throw him into this pit with no care of him whatsoever. And they are so hardened, they have no trouble sitting down and they have lunch while Joseph is suffering. How bad is that? They're sitting, and you think if that's bad, it gets worse. It actually gets worse. They're sitting down having lunch where they put the brother in a pit. Then Judah takes the reins. He says, why kill him? We are on a slave trade route. Let's profit of our brother. Let's sell him. And Judah was prompted by a passing mer- merchant's caravan, Ishmaelites and Midianites. The brothers sell Joseph for a slave's wage. Remember how Christ was sold? Remember how much was he sold for, anybody? 30 pieces of silver. Judas sold our Lord Jesus Christ at a slave's wage. Joseph was sold for 20. But you can figure inflation for 3,000 years, you know. It's from 20, 20 pieces of silver to 30. A precious man like Joseph sold for slave's wages by his brother's. Well, not, I mean, not by his brothers. They wanted to sell him for that, but it didn't work out that way. Reuben comes back to rescue Joseph, and this is the one Jacob would most definitely look to to make responsible for Joseph. Reuben goes to the pit, and he rends his clothes. In reality, he is saying he is, saying he is in abject horror right here. And the brothers meant business. What would, he say to jo- what would he say to Jacob? Well, we see here in these verses... And Reuben, in verse 29, And Reuben returned into the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. So as soon as this all comes around, Joseph is gone, and they're thinking that they have no idea what's happened to him. They start, it gets worse. They start plotting against him. They take this kid, this goat, they cut it up and they put the blood and we see how the robe of many colors gets one extra color. It's the blood of a goat. And we see here God's, that all these events magnifying God's divine providence. In Psalm 76.10 said, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Almighty God plan prevails as he restrains the brother from murder. 
Although they thought selling him would keep Joseph from them, they sell him right into the plan. And basically, the brothers want him dead. They don't want him to be presented back to Jacob. They think that they could sell him and make money. And, and a whole other band of, a band of slave traders come and take them away from him, and they don't even get the profit off of it. The Lord had every bit of this strategically placed, perfectly. And what we read this morning was incredible in the, in the responsive reading because Stephen, when he goes before the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he recounts this to them, and they know that. It is in their writings of the Old Testament. And he goes back, and he perfectly goes back and takes the details and shows us exactly what happened all the way thousands of years later. And we see how this comes together for the New Testament and the Old Testament. Jacob was in no means perfect. Let's go to Jacob now. Here what happens is they dip the coat of many colors in goat's blood and they show it to the father. Jacob mourns and he vows to become undone. And to go down into his grave, he said, I will not be consoled. I won't be. You have to think about that a minute. Keep that in the back of your heads or in front of your heads, whatever, but just think about that. Remember how Jacob had deceived his father Isaac and the goat skin on his arm and Esau's garment. Then he, then he then deceived with goat's blood and Joseph's garment. Goat's kind of coming back to haunt Jacob because the brother said it was goat's blood. Remember, it was a goat's skin that Jacob hoodwinked, uh, hoodwinked Isaac over to steal Esau's birthright. And I was, like I said, Jacob had made many mistakes. And it's another, remember for a father, dads make mistakes. Dads aren't perfect. Our only father that's perfect is our heavenly father. But Jacob still loved his kids. They hated Jacob's apple. The boys hated Jacob's apple. Favorites are another great mistake by fathers, but it happens. And look at what was caused here. The brothers lived the lie. Reuben was just as conniving. Joseph now is in the house of a high-ranking captain going to Potiphar's house. And there Jacob is left. And here's the Father's Day, heart of the message. He mourns his son. And he is in abject sorrow. Jacob here, we see how the brothers lived the lie. Reuben was conniving. We see that dads make mistakes, and Jacob is paying greatly, but oh, how hard it is to watch what Jacob has to go through. Jacob mourns for his son and would not be consoled. You know, I remember years ago, you know, the story of John Walsh, the fellow that has that show that chases after people that abduct kids. I'll never forget when that first happened. I was real young when it happened, and they looked everywhere for his son, Adam. Adam Walsh, and he was taken, he was murdered, and he was put into a river, a precious little boy. And that man, could have, that man could have went crazy, but he spent his whole life helping other people. He loved Adam. He loved that little boy. i never forget that. When I think of Father, I just think of him, because of all the wonderful things he did, but he's lived his whole life without his son. Well, Jacob gets his son back eventually. We see that, and we see how it's incredible the pain that a father carries when he sees his children being hurt. Jacob had been tried so many ways. He seemed to always be able to overcome monumental adversities. He fell prey to the deception of marrying Leah when he should have been only marrying the desire of his eyes and his heart, Rachel. 
He endured the slaughter of the Shechemites by his sons. And then we see that first physical rape in the Bible in Genesis 34. That was Jacob's daughter, how he ever got through that. Rachel would die. And now this seems to be the watershed moment that was Jacob's undoing. I will not be consoled. He never said that before. He never said that with the incident in Shechem. He never said that when Rachel died, although it was hard on him. He never said that when all these other things came. Where was his invincible strength by which he had prevailed? Remember how he had prevailed with the angel. Where, where were the many lessons of patience which God had exercised him in order that he would never fail, that he might never fail? Well, we do. Fathers fail, they do. Calvin says this disposition to mourn teaches us that no one is endued with such heroic virtues as to be exempt from that infirmity of the flesh which betrays itself sometimes even in little things. Whence also it happens that they who have long been accustomed to the cross and who, like veteran soldiers, ought bravely to bear up against every kind of attack fall like young recruits in some slight skirmish. Who then among us may not fear for himself when we see holy Jacob faint after having given so many proofs of patience? And John Calvin gives us a window into his own spirituality. He looked to Jacob. He looked to Abraham. He looked to Isaac. That's who we're supposed to look to. Ultimately Christ. But Christ gives us examples and people to follow after and to learn. That's why we read his word. They are there. We see their mistakes. And we see all of their infirmities. And the Lord teaches us these things to strengthen us. We see that all of his sons, going to verse 35, all his sons and daughters, they rose up. This is where it really gets bad. If you think it's bad enough what they did to the coat, they actually know what happened to Joseph. They lied about it. And then they go back to Pop and try to tell him and hoodwink him and try to console him. he wouldn't be consoled. His son should have repented. You can read any commentary. It doesn't take a lot to teach it that they should have repented right there. A devout father will focus attention on the child that is hurting. He would gladly leave the 99 to save the one Joseph, but Joseph in his mind now is gone. And here's the heart of his father. Jacob was sent the coat of many colors with now another color added, blood red. Now the badge of Jacob's honor of Joseph is now the object of his despair. Joseph was said to have rent his clothes in pieces like Job did. Jacob was rent in pieces mentally, physically. He loved the son and consider the anguish of David with the death of Absalom. Look at the heart of another father in 2 Samuel 18.33. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went thus, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. David said, I would have died for him. If anything, I could have done. Joab knew what happened. David didn't. Job lost all his sons and daughters. Job 1, 20 and 21, we read, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We must have compassion on this father that was in terror over the thought of his son Joseph being torn to pieces by wild beasts. The thought of the agony, oh, what the fathers go through. What agony fathers go through. 
And obviously, you know by now, this is not a message to stand here and bash fathers. I've heard them before. I'm here to tell you that fathers go through agony. They do. It's hard. Paying the bills, working tirelessly, handling the business or the boss, fixing the house, fixing the cars, and everything else. Trying to lead when you feel like collapsing. These are but a few marks of a good father. There are too many deadbeat fathers out there that don't want the responsibility. Jacob stayed and took all the hits. Well, it's incredible what he went through. We need encouragement, and fathers need your prayers. Psalms 103.13 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. The mother is everything to the father. She's the one that glues it all together. Jacob could not protect his precious Joseph and never underestimate the powers of God. At this point, there's a lot of things going on here. And never underestimate the power of our Lord God Almighty, what He can do, no matter what happens. Our Lord loved Joseph and protected him all the way through his administration. Joseph goes to Potiphar's house. Jail has more dreams that are prophecies then become second in command over all of Egypt and surrounding Eric. So what happens? What happens next? Well, there's a lot that happens between Genesis 37 and 45, and we would be here probably till next Friday if we were going to go through it all. But just to kind of jump ahead a little bit, look at the heart of the Father. Jacob says, I will not be consoled. Should he have said that? Well, maybe not, because as a Christian, we depend on the Lord for everything. But he said, I will not be consoled. And he was at the point of absolute despair. But the Lord would not let him go down into his grave until he rewarded him again. Because why? Now, Jacob had multiple wives. I don't get that. I don't get the whole concubine thing. But I know the effects of it. It's not what the Bible says. It's what the Bible doesn't say. But you see, every one of the men that had concubines had nothing but problems with their kids and their wives. Remember an old country song that says, trying to love two women is like a ball and chain? You know, <laughs> That's kind of tough. And I can tell you this, when I was dating my wife, if I had told her that I had been hoodwinked into marrying if she had an older sister, and I had already married her, but I still want to marry her, she had told me to take a flying leap. That's what Jacob did. He married Leah to get to Rachel. I don't get that. And then he had two more after that. Like I said, nobody's perfect. I don't get it. I don't, it was another time and era. I can't even explain it. But all I know is Jacob never did anything but pay for it till the day he died. And it's no wonder at 130 years he said, few and evil are my days. <laughs> But he does have a, a, a bright, big, big bright spot. And this is the part that I love. Because everything seems so dark right now. And there's always a bright spot. No matter where you are, no matter how bad it gets, there's always a bright spot. And the Lord always makes sure you get it, one way or the other. Joseph goes to Potiphar's house once again. And there Joseph is gone. He's about to face a whole bunch of other problems when Potiphar's wife starts getting involved and he has to go to jail for a while. None and nobody knew it. Here's Genesis 45, 24. After all this happens and the sons finally find out after Joseph kind of like really puts them through it and he shows the brothers who he is and he says, I am Joseph. What's well, the first thing? I don't have that here, but we're going to go a little further because it's going to take a while. But he said, you tell my son Joseph. I mean, you, no, let me say that again. You tell our father Jacob that Joseph is alive. 
Now, can you imagine after all those years of thinking your son was torn to shreds by a wild beast, that he was in agony and he was eaten alive, and thinking that there was nothing left of him? Genesis 45, 24 says, So his, he, re, he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father. Now, just sit back for this. And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they, it's a wonder he didn't die of a heart attack right there. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. What a watershed moment already in the first book. This is just the first book of the Bible. You think this is good? Keep on going. Read up to it. This is the kind of father Jacob was. He was a man of God. He prayed to God and he loved his Savior. He loved him. And this is the most ultimate mark of a good father. He had all the mistakes. Joseph did a lot of Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob did a lot of bad things. I have a little take on what he actually did to Esau. I have a little take on that. One day we'll have to talk about that. But I don't believe all that he did there was totally wrong. And if you read, and I'll give you a little homework, go study Rebecca and watch real close what happens with the Hittites. Esau married a Hittite woman. I'll give it away. He married a Hittite woman, and she was furious. And I know what she did. She was saying, no matter what, Jacob, your brother will never keep his ears open and his mouth shut. He won't listen to me. He married this wicked woman, and he's not getting that birthright. He's not getting it. It's there. You can read that. And she was smart, and she was telling Jacob, I don't care how we get it. I don't kind of necessarily agree how they did it. But Esau is not getting that birthright, and it's not going to the Hittites. That's really what happened. And so you can make your own assessment up there. I think Rebecca, I, I think Rebecca was very wise. I don't agree with how they did it, but she was very worried. Well, Genesis 32.9, we see the heart of Jacob as we close here. This kind of father is who Jacob was. He was a man of God. And we've sung it, we've read it. The God of Jacob is for us a refuge strong and sure. The God of our fathers, you tell the God of our fathers. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you tell them Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is sent. That is all through Scripture. Jacob's name is mentioned over and over and over again. In Genesis 39, I mean Genesis 32, verses 9 through 11, we read, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all of the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with his children. He was praying to God, and he was scared to death because Esau was furious at him. Jacob showed humility in his elder years, 
And he made a statement later to Pharaoh, as Moses would say in Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Then we go to Genesis 47, 9, where Jacob backs this up, and Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. What humility. He says, he's hundred and thirty years, and he says, my days are few. We're hoping to get seventy or eighty years out of our life. He goes hundred and fifty years, and at hundred and thirty, he says, my life is few. That's humility. Even in his last words to Joseph, before Jacob died on his deathbed, he gave glory to the Lord. Genesis 49.25, we read, Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by thy Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings in the breasts and of the womb. These were the last words of Jacob before he died. He honored the Lord. Jacob was always there for his children. He was in no means perfect, but he was there for them, he taught them, he protected them, he protected them and brought them to the Lord, and that is the mark and the faith of a father. We see all the way down the line in Hebrews 11.21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning upon the top of his staff. We go all the way to Hebrews and see exactly, we get in kind of a visual of what happened there. You know what's interesting? I want to finish with this. Just give me one more minute. It's very interesting. Last Wednesday, I think it was, I was reading all these books, and I thought my mother had given me this book called Naves, The Knave's Topical Bible. She had had it when she went to Bob Jones way back in the 50s and 60s. And I'm like, you know what? That's a good book, by the way. And you can take all these like applications and look them up in Naves, and it'll give you tons of Bible verses and show you exactly what you can, how you can formulate your spiritual, basically your theological opinion on the Bible. It's all King James, and it's incredible if you've ever heard of it. So I went into the Strong's Concordance first, and I saw the word Father, something like 820, 825 or 826 times in the Bible. But I go to this, and this is an incredible work. Nave's Topical Bible is very good. And I looked up the word Father. There's only two applications. I thought I could just sit out and I would have you know, study for an hour. I'd have plenty of stuff to read in Nave's Topical Bible. And there were only two applications of the word Father. And I thought it was fascinating because what it was doing was putting a high regard on the word Father and what a Father really is, which we see today. It's basically a joke to most people, to a lot of people, sadly. But what happens is there's only two references and although there are 825 times the word, is, the word Father shows up in the concordance, there are two applications. Judges 17.10 giving a warning because there was a false prophet and a false priest that wanted Micah to call him Father as his priest. And then he went in and he left Micah and went into... Was it the... Uh, I can't remember now, but it was a real pagan group and he became their priest and the Lord was furious with that because he told them to call him Father. That's one. Here's the second one. Matthew chapter 23, 8, 9, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. 
Now, there's only one time. Now, this was Christ speaking to the Pharisees because they wanted to be regarded as a father. But what he was saying was, there is only one father that you have. You have your earthly father and your heavenly father, and that is a connection. That is the regard that this application puts on father and how important it is to be a good father and to honor the Lord. Here, Christ warns about calling priests, pastors, and church leaders father. And we see here the high regard Christ has put on the office of a father. It's wrong in the Catholic Church to call those men father. That is wrong to do that. And the Lord says it right here, and that's proof. Well, i got a couple quotes to leave you with about fathers today, and we'll finish. Our one father, here, here's quotes about five, two of them. Here's the first one. One father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. One father is worth more than a hundred schoolmasters. That's from George Herbert. He was a 16th century theologian. Here's another one. And he that is taught to live upon little owes more to his father's wisdom than he that has a great deal left him does to his father's care. And that was from William Penn. So I think that Jacob is a really good example. And I think that's a great blessing. And there's so much more to learn about him. Let's finish with prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank Thee and praise Thee for these precious words that Thou hast penned down and inspired so that we can be encouraged by them. They're far more important than anything else that we can study and learn. And Lord, to build our hearts up, to encourage our minds, and to know that through these stories and through these true, wonderful accounts that Thou art our refuge and Thou art our strength. Lord, just bless us and keep us from falling. And I say a special prayer today on all the fathers that Thou wouldst bless them. And I pray that, Lord, that thou wouldst just protect them. And I pray that thou wouldst just encourage them in thy word. And all these things we ask in thy name we pray. Amen.